Hornet Heaven, Series 7, Episode 1. A Sad, Sad Situation. Written by Ollie Wicken, read by Colin Mace. Earth Season, 1976-77. In May 1977, in Hornet Heaven, a despondent Henry Grover stepped off Occupation Road and traipsed down the stairs that led into the dingy Supporters Club bar. Going down, going down, going down. The Supporters Club bar was a dismal place, perfectly matching the state of Watford Football Club at the time. Two years earlier, Watford had slumped into Division 4. Now, Henry slumped into a seat, next to one of his old Watford Rovers teammates, and sighed. The 1970s are getting worse and worse, Freddy. Strikes and power cuts were bad enough, but now we're having to put up with Arthur Horsfield playing at centre-half. It's a whole new level of misery. The man next to Henry was Freddy Sargent the cantankerous inside forward from the 1880s and 1890s. Freddy said, Stop moaning, Grover. What's more, it's Friday the 13th today, which means something terrible's bound to happen, and yet it's hard to imagine how things could actually get worse for our beloved club. Pull yourself together. You're the father of the club. People in Hornet Heaven take their lead from you. You need to be positive at all times. <laughs> positive? <laughs> in May 1977, things weren't going well for the club Henry had founded nearly a century earlier. Watford were a mid-table side in the bottom division with no sign that they'd ever improve. Home crowds had been dipping below 5,000 in the land of the living, and in Hornet Heaven, the ancient turnstile that gave people access to new Watford games and any game in Watford's history wasn't getting much use. In his bleaker moments, Henry had sometimes wondered whether the ancient turnstile might soon rust away through inactivity, and he wasn't too sure he'd care all that much if it did. When did you last go to a game? The FA Cup defeat in January. Huh. Northwich Victoria broke you, did it? You wimp. Like a butterfly on a wheel, Freddy. Like a butterfly on a wheel. Well, things have looked up since then. We sacked the manager a month ago. Mike Keane's finally gone. You should be shouting positive messages from the rooftops, rallying the residents instead of moping about in here. I don't see any urgency, Freddy. The new chairman still hasn't hired a new manager yet. He's moving even more slowly than Arthur Hallsfield, trotting into position for a corner. Right, Grover. This negative attitude isn't good enough. I'm going to... All right, Freddy. Leave this to me. Freddy turned and saw the grand figure of Alderman Ralph Thorpe, the former mayor of Watford and 
former chairman of the club, had entered the bar wearing the chain of office and ceremonial robes that he always wore in Hornet Heaven. The robes were a vivid red, richly trimmed with fur. The alderman said to Henry, I overheard what you were saying, Henry William. I shall take you to a game to re-enthuse you. Freddy protested. Oi, I'm handling this, alderman. You can't just walk in and start lording it over everyone. Stand down, Mr. Sergeant. As you know, I am widely reputed as the Prince of Goodfellows. Watching a match in my company will put a spring in Henry's step and get him looking forward to the future. Come on now, Henry William. The alderman got Henry out of his seat and, with his robes flowing behind him, led Henry through the gloom of the bar towards the exit. Freddy seethed as he watched them go. He didn't like Henry's negativity, but he hated the alderman's air of superiority even more. Freddy had been awarded an OBE in the land of the living, so he found the self-importance of the alderman, who only had a JP after his name, utterly infuriating. He wanted to teach them both a lesson. And he knew exactly how he'd do it. The alderman took Henry to the wooden programme hut on Occupation Road. He chose two programmes to the previous Saturday's match at Swansea City, a surprising away win, and took Henry through the ancient turnstile. They arrived at the Vetchfield and sat in the director's box. At the final whistle, the alderman said, Well, that should have done you a power of good. Henry William. Oh, um, what? Ah, it's you, Alderman. Uh, hello. Uh, did you say something? This performance should have left you hugely encouraged about how we might do next season. 1977-78 could be wonderful. Oh, um, for football. Yes. <laughs> Sorry, I... I wasn't paying attention. What? You didn't notice that we won 4-1? Ross Jenkins scored. Keith Mercer scored. Alan May scored too. And Steve Sherwood made some fine saves. Sorry, old thing. I was distracted. Well, that's a poor show, Henry William. To what exactly were you paying attention? Embroidery. I beg your pardon? The embroidery on Elton John's trousers. He was sitting just along the row from us. The way the late afternoon light was playing on the gold work adorning the seams was simply captivating. Far more exciting than mid-table fourth division football. Henry Grover had long held two passions, football and aesthetics. When the flamboyantly dressed Elton John had become the chairman of Watford Football Club in May the previous year, 
Henry had hoped the two passions would be perfectly combined. But the football, under Elton's leadership, had proved unable to sustain Henry's interest. The alderman growled. His attempt to re-enthuse Henry by bringing him to a resounding away victory had failed. Elton John? Don't talk to me about that clown. Oh, he wasn't in a clown costume, Alderman. Not today, anyway. Hopefully he's saving that for another match. Imagine the audacious way he'd pair stripes and polka dots. I'm not interested in Elton John. Nor should you be, Henry William. You should be interested in our football and the future of our club. It's wrong that you're not. The accusation hurt Henry. He turned to the friend he'd known for decades. He took a deep breath and said, Given the way our club is floundering, Alderman, look me in the eye and tell me that it's fair to blame me. At the same moment, just the other side of the ancient turnstile, Freddy Sargent was looking up and down Occupation Road anxiously, hoping no one would see what he and his accomplice were up to. Hurry up, McBain. Why is it taking you so long? Beneath the mechanism of the ancient turnstile, Neil McBain was lying on his back with his legs sticking out. It was a pose that wouldn't have surprised anyone familiar with McBain's drinking habits during his second spell as Watford manager in the 1950s. Ugh! Don't hurry me! Freddie had chosen McBain for this job because he performed labouring tasks around the stadium during his first management spell. In the summer of 1932, he dug a stairwell out of the northeast corner of the Vicarage Road Terrace. I've never tampered with high technology before. Digging, though, I was brilliant at. And why couldn't you dig the club out of Division 4 once you'd got us relegated into it in 1958? Hurry up. You're as terrible a workman as you were a manager. They... Uh, that should do it. McBain slid himself out from under the turnstile and stood up. Freddy checked to see if the job had been a success. He nodded at McBain, and the two men scuttled away. At the Vetchfield, the alderman and the father of the club left the director's box and headed back towards the ancient turnstile. One day this club will rise, Henry William just like it rose when I was in charge. Alderman Ralph Thorpe had been chairman of Watford Football Club between 1903 and 1922. When he'd taken over, Watford had been going out of business as a Southern League Division II club at Cassio Road. But under his leadership, and with his money, they'd become a Football League club and moved to a brand new stadium at Vicarage Road. For the rest of eternity, Watford Football Club would owe its existence and league status to Alderman Ralph Thorpe's business acumen and financial generosity. The Alderman continued, But my optimism for the future is tempered by one thing, Henry William. 
or, more accurately, one man, Elton John. The most important thing at a football club is the owner's vision, and Elton John has none. Vision drives success. What an owner believes, a club achieves. I say, that's a natty phrase, Alderman. Almost as natty as the embroidered matching flat cap Elton was wearing with his suit just now. That's the problem with you, Henry William. You only see style, not substance. My point is that as long as this club's chairman is a jumped-up pop star wearing preposterous spangly spectacles as big as his face, there'll be no clear vision. Goodness! Elton's spangly spectacles aren't preposterous. They're gorgeous. In fact, his whole wardrobe is an inspiration. I wish I'd had the panache back in the Victorian era to wear a suit with sequined flares and platform shoes. He's a show-off, Henry William. That's the only reason he's taken over. He has no ambitions for Watford Football Club. He's just seeking attention. Henry glanced at the alderman's mayoral robes as the portly old man walked back to the ancient turnstile. They were as ostentatious as anything Elton might wear. The only thing Elton John inspires in me is fear that he'll destroy the club I love. I wouldn't ever want to meet him, Henry William, but if I did, I'd say, don't go breaking my heart, you ridiculous little man. Ha! Don't go breaking my heart. Ha! I see what you did there. I beg your pardon. The way you quoted, what are you talking about? Oh, uh, never mind. Anyway, I think you're wrong to knock Elton. He's got pots of money to spend on the club. Only if he doesn't spend it all on something like gold lame pantyhose. Good Lord! Oh, oh. Gold lame pantyhose. Racy. Well, for goodness sake, Henry William, focus on what matters. I'm the greatest benefactor in the club's history, and I'm telling you, Elton John is definitely not the man to take Watford on a journey to football stardom. The alderman's chain of office clinked slightly as he carried on, shuffling heavily towards the ancient turnstile. When he got there, he pushed at the turnstile. But it wouldn't move. What impertinence is this? Is it someone's idea of a joke? Henry took over the pushing. The turnstile wouldn't budge. Golly, this leaves us in a bit of a pickle. The turnstile's stuck. Stuck? Just like Watford Football Club, while its chairman is a pop star. Utterly stuck. I hate 1977. So, what are we going to do now? With no way out through the turnstile, the two men returned to their seats. The game started again, 
and they could do nothing but re-watch a meaningless away victory at the end of a second season of drift in Division 4. Henry and the Alderman felt trapped and powerless, like Watford fans everywhere. Not long later, on Occupation Road, Watford's first ever manager, Johnny Allgood, leaned his weight against the ancient turnstile and shoved. Ach, I don't know what's happened here. The ancient turnstile's stuck. I can't shift it. 78-year-old Johnny, bald and mustachioed, stepped back. He was with the club's third ever manager, Fred Pagnum, a white-haired 70-year-old. Johnny said, This is terrible luck, Baggy. On Friday the 13th of all days, we could be stuck for the rest of eternity without a single game to go to. That would be a stroke of good fortune, the state the club's in. Don't be so down, Paggy. I know times are bad, but we just need to keep hoping for the best. I am hoping for the best. I'm hoping we never have to watch a Watford game ever again. We're a joke of a club, on and off the pitch. Johnny Allgood, the greatest footballer in England during the Victorian era before he joined Watford, remained his calm, measured self. A jammed turnstile makes our paradise a prison. If we can't go to games, there's nothing for us to do. We'd better inform the father of the club. Do you know where Henry is? I bumped into him earlier. Him and the Alderman were going to last week's game. I don't know why. We've been a laughing stock this season. Do you remember when we lost 4-0 at Cambridge? Our goalkeeper, Peter Gibbs his name were, was so useless he gave up football straight after. Wait, you mean Henry's at a match? But he won't be able to get back. Well, if you ask me, he's a lucky man. That's a serious Paggy. Henry's trapped. This is an emergency. Johnny was trying to think what to do when Freddie Sargent appeared as if from nowhere, though it was actually from behind the programme hut just up the slope where he'd been hiding. Afternoon, gents. <laughs> Is there a problem? Johnny explained that the turnstile was jammed. Blimey, that's unfortunate. I hope no one's stuck on the other side. That would teach them a lesson. Teach them a lesson? What do you mean? Eh? Oh, nothing, nothing. Look, this ain't the time for chitter-chat. I'll take charge here and organise the rescue. I'm good at this sort of thing. My organisational abilities on transport committees in the First World War are recognised with an OBE. Hang about. We ain't told you that anyone's stuck. There's bound to be people stuck. Important people, probably. Just leave it to the man with the OBE. I'll sort it all out. Johnny and Paggy eyed Freddy suspiciously, but let him get on with it. On the other side of the ancient turnstile, the final whistle blew at Swansea. Again. 
This time, Henry and the alderman didn't move from their seats. Silently, they each individually reflected on the fact that they were trapped indefinitely behind the ancient turnstile. As the real-world crowd around them dispersed, Henry became aware of what the tannoy was playing. Henry recognised the tune from previous plays on Radio Hornet at Vicarage Road. It was an instrumental cover of a hit song from the previous autumn. Sorry seems to be the hardest word. Henry supposed the DJ at Swansea liked the idea of Elton John apologising for Watford's unexpected victory. As Henry listened, he began to feel melancholy. He started to realise what he'd miss if he was stuck here forever and couldn't get back to the main part of Hornet Heaven. He'd miss watching the ups and downs of the football team he loved. He'd miss the warmth and the camaraderie of the Hornet Heaven community. And he'd miss the way Elton John's outfits boldly blended the contemporary with the antique and the intricate with the flamboyant. Henry would never see another Watford game and he'd never see another frilly epaulette. Over the tannoy, sorry seems to be the hardest word was still playing. Henry turned to his companion and saw that he wasn't alone in being upset. He watched as the alderman shook his head and mumbled, It's sad. So sad. It's a sad, sad situation. For a split second, Henry wanted to laugh. But there was a teardrop rolling down the alderman's cheek. The former chairman's face was normally formidably stern, but now it looked as if it was about to crumple. Henry wondered if hearing Elton John's music was softening his old friend's strictly old-fashioned views about the pop star's dress sense. Perhaps this was a sign that the alderman would now, like Henry, delight in the fact that the current chairman chose to dress like a male showgirl. Henry felt a wave of both sympathy and empathy for his old friend as the Swansea DJ faded the music to silence. The alderman said, A bloody poofter as chairman! This club's going nowhere! I say, good lord, I say. On Occupation Road, a crowd of Watford fans had gathered by the broken ancient turnstile. They were getting agitated that they couldn't go to any games. It's a double whammy. The club's malfunctioning down there and Hornet Evans malfunctioning up here. I definitely don't want 1976-1977 to be the last season I ever see. It'll haunt me forever. What if 1977-78 is the start of something big? If the turnstile ain't fixed, we'll miss it. Johnny Allgood and Peggy were keeping an eye on Freddie Sargent. Freddie was busy informing everyone he was in charge of the situation, but not actually doing anything to resolve it. Johnny went up to him and said, Freddie, the turnstile needs fixing urgently. Henry and the alderman are stuck at a game on the other side. Are they? 
I had no idea. Why didn't you say? Freddy announced to the crowd that he knew how to get the turnstile mended, and that he, Freddy Sergeant, would rescue the marooned father of the club and the hapless alderman. Then he headed off to find his accomplice. Paggy said to Johnny, A rescue sounds more exciting than the football we've seen this season, but that's not saying much. I can't be bothered. I'll see you later. Paggy walked up the slope and went into the wooden programme hut that sat on the gravel towards the junction with Vicarage Road. Inside, he saw Neil McBain sitting at a table playing a board game with the young schoolboy who helped organise the programmes in Hornet Heaven, 13-year-old Derek Garston. Derek, in his school uniform as always, looked up and said, Oh, hello Mr Bagnum, sir. We're just finishing a game of Soccerama. Apparently it's been very popular down on Earth recently. McBain said, Ugh, I don't know why Soccerama's so popular. It's basically just football snakes and ladders going up through the divisions. But that's what makes it great, Mr McBain, sir. You can reach Division 1 and get into Europe amazingly quickly, sir. That never happens to a club in real life, sir. Well, I suppose I like the way that if the dice says you've won a match, you receive money. Exactly. Look at all my winnings, Mr. Pagnum, sir. Wait. What the... Hey, where's my money gone? As well as the drinking, another feature of Neil McBain's tenure as Watford manager had been the misappropriation of other people's money. It had led to his sacking in 1937. He got to his feet. His pockets were bulging with paper notes. Oh, I've had enough of this soccer armour. That's too unrealistic. I got my team up to Division 1 in about five minutes. Actually, Mr McBain, sir, I watched you across two spells as Watford manager in the 1930s and 1950s, so the idea of your getting a team promoted is not only unrealistic, it's laughable, Mr McBain, sir. You took Watford Football Club in only one direction, Mr McBain, sir. Down, sir. Why, you cheeky little... Freddy Sargent walked through the door of the hut. McBain, I need to borrow you. Freddy calmed McBain down and led him out of the hut. Paggy sat himself down at the table. Everything to do with our club is so miserable. I need distraction. Come on, Derek lad, show me how to play this soccer army. Is it fun? It's brilliant, Mr Pagnum, sir. Especially getting into Europe. It makes me realise how much I'd love to see Watford in Europe, Mr Pagnum, sir. Imagine it. McBain were right, then. The game's completely unrealistic. Not totally, Mr Pagnum, sir. It's a dice game, so there's no strategy at all, which reflects exactly the way Watford Football Club is being run at the moment, Mr Pagnum, sir. Oh, God, don't say that. You're making me think I could play Soccerama for 57 years and find myself no higher up the league system than when I started. Just like Watford in real life. Oh, dear, Mr Pagnum, sir. You actually sound a bit depressed, sir. 
Aye. I think I am. It's probably for the best that I won't be able to watch the final game of the season tomorrow. Won't be able to watch, sir? Why not, Mr. Pegman, sir? Haven't you heard? The ancient turnstile's broken. What? No one can get through. Ever again? Oh, my God, Mr. Pegman, sir! That's holy heaven completely! Completely! Excuse my language, Mr. Pegnum, sir. Buggered! Mr. Pegnum, sir. And what's worse is, Henry Grover's stuck on to the side somewhere. Oh, oh no, this is terrible, Mr. Pegnum, sir. But wait, I could help. I'm only small, so I might be able to squeeze through the turnstile, Mr. Pegnum, sir. I could go to the aid of the father of the club. The thirteen-year-old didn't hesitate. He asked Paggy which game Henry was at, grabbed a programme and rushed out of the programme hut. I'm going to be the hero of horny heaven. Meanwhile, at the Vetchfield, Henry and the alderman trudged back to the ancient turnstile to see if it was working again. After his shocking outburst, the alderman was mumbling. When I was chairman, I had a clear picture of what I wanted for this club, and I achieved it. But ever since I died in 1929, I've been in Hornet Heaven, watching an organisation without true direction. I want better for this club, but it won't happen while there's a bell-bottomed friend of Dorothy in charge. Henry was no happier. Well, we won't see anything happen unless the turnstile becomes unjammed. Let's hope someone's been working on it on the other side. At the same moment on Occupation Road, Derek and Paggy edged through the large crowd surrounding the ancient turnstile. They saw Freddy Sergeant supervising Neil McBain, who was lying on the pavement with his shirt sleeves rolled up and his hands deep in the mechanism of the ancient turnstile. McBain was staring up at a lot of complicated technology and hitting it with a wrench. Derek called out. Stand back, Mr McBain, sir. I want to go to the aid of the father of the club, sir. Freddy Sergeant put himself between Derek and the turnstile. Don't try and steal my thunder, sunshine. Clear off. McBain called out. He's too late anyway. Uh, it's mended now. The Scotsman got to his feet. Freddy pushed a turnstile. It moved freely. He announced to the crowd, Ladies and gentlemen, Freddy Sergeant OBE has restored Hornet Heaven to its full working glory. Hey, what about me? I was the one who, the father of the club and the alderman, were helplessly trapped. But now, thanks to me, they can return. As the crowd cheered, McBain grumbled, and young Derek stared miserably at his school shoes. The boy wasn't happy that he'd been denied his shot at being a hero. Suddenly, though, Derek realised he could still grab a slice of glory. 
With the programme to the Swansea game in his hand, he could meet up with Henry and heroically lead the father of the club home to a rapturous welcome from the Watford fans on Occupation Road. He fancied that. He darted forward past Freddy Sergeant. Freddy shouted, Oi! Where are you going, you little squirt? But Derek had already disappeared through the turnstile. On the other side of the ancient turnstile, Henry and the alderman were ready to exit the Swansea game. Henry gave the metal a tentative push. The turnstile moved. Ah-ha! It's working again! Uh, come on, alderman. We're in business. The business of watching Watford go out of business. Henry and the alderman went through the turnstile onto Occupation Road. They were met by the sight of Freddie Sargent, Neil McBain and Fred Pagnum in front of a large crowd of Hornet Heaven residents. A huge cheer went up. People shouted out, Welcome home, Henry! Hurrah for the safe return of the father of the club! Freddie shouted out in a disguised voice, Un uh, For Freddie Sargent, who made it happen! As Freddie stepped forward to greet Henry and take credit for his return, a disgruntled McBain accidentally on purpose let the wrench slip from his hand and drop onto Freddie's foot. <coughs> Freddie collapsed to the pavement, as if he'd been tackled by Tom Wally. Meanwhile, Henry spoke to the crowd. Why, thank you. Thank you. How lovely. I must admit the alderman and I were feeling a tiny bit sorry for ourselves in there, but it's wonderful to be back in the bosom of the Hornet Heaven family. Isn't it, alderman? The alderman didn't answer. To add to his misery about the way Elton John was running the club, he was feeling insulted that no one had cheered for him. Over the years... He'd received such widespread flattery, as club chairman and as mayor, that he'd come to expect it all the time. He felt strongly that he, personally, should have been given much more of a welcome. Henry continued to address the crowd, warming to his role as father of the club. But this moment of celebration isn't just about me. The alderman looked up hopefully. So did Freddy as he lay on the pavement. The restoration of the ancient turnstile to full working order is vital to the happiness of all of us in Hornet Heaven, so we can take pride and pleasure in the past and witness future glories. The alderman and Freddy both fumed that they weren't getting a mention. The alderman muttered, <laughs> Future glories! not until Elton John sent packing. And if there aren't future glories, well, it's the supporting, not the winning, that matters. I can't deny that I've been rather disinterested this season, but the prospect of everyone being deprived of access to the club we all love has focused my mind. None of us could live, or whatever it is we do now we're dead, without Watford. The crowd murmured their appreciation of Henry's wise words. So, in a way, the malfunction of the ancient turnstile has been a good thing after all.
on the pavement. Furious that he was missing out on a claim for his achievements, Freddy was about to shout out that he was responsible for the malfunction as well as the rescue, but he realised this probably wouldn't be smart. He got McBain to help him up, and they skulked away. After Henry had finished his speech, the crowd dispersed, relieved that Hornet Heaven would continue to be the Watford paradise it had always been. Everyone was happy again, except for Paggy, who realised something was amiss. The former 1920 striker said to Henry and the alderman, Here, you two, didn't you bump into young Derek Gaston in there? No. Why? Should we have done? He went through the turnstile to look for you at the Swansea game just two minutes ago. The alderman grumbled. He felt he was above such trifling concerns. They expect the child had the wrong programme. He had the right programme. I saw him take it from the oat. Oh, lordy. This doesn't make sense. If he didn't arrive at the Swansea game, where did he go? The alderman grunted with disgust. So, a boy has gone through the turnstile and gone missing. Why am I not surprised? Everything to do with Watford Football Club is malfunctioning. On Elton John's watch. End of episode one. The story will continue in series seven, episode two. Next time, in series seven of Hornet Heaven, Elton John is damaging us. People think it's hilarious that a global pop star supports a bottom division club. It belittles us. I'm 100% with you now. He's got to go. If Elton John stays in charge for the next five years, we could end up divisions away from where we are now. Hornet Heaven was created and written by Watford fan Ollie Wicken. It was read by Watford fan Colin Mace. It was produced by Watford fan John Mooney. Music by Watford fans Steve Joy and Jeff Wicken. <laughs>